0: Today's daf is Yud in Rosh Hashanah. We are on Yud Amud amud Aleph, second line from the top of the amud at the one dot, where it says, di achid gufei The discussion of whether the dec- a decree, a heavenly decree upon a person, can be changed once the decree is passed, is itself a machalok at Tanaim. The tanya, as we learned in a brighter, Meir Omer, Two people who go into the bed, meaning that they are sick. They have the same sickness. And two people that go before the court to be judged for life and death. And their and their situation is the same. One comes down and one doesn't come down. Meaning one survives and one doesn't. One is saved and one isn't saved. What's the reason why one of them recovers from the illness and one is one doesn't and one of them is saved from death and one is not one of them prayed and was answered one of them prayed and wasn't answered what's the reason what's the reason why one is answered and one isn't answered the one that prayed a complete fila and had proper kavanah was answered the one that didn't uh, pray properly was not answered uh, in other words, it, according to this, it makes no difference before a gzardin, after a gzardin. That's not the issue. The issue is simply whether the tefillah was done with a whole heart. One is uh, for one is before the judgment was passed, One, meaning from heaven, and the other is after. In other words, once Hashem has already made a gzardin, on a person, it will not be changed. Before the gzardin, it could still be changed by the Tfilah. So according to Rabbi Meir, the issue of gzardin doesn't factor in. It's only a matter of the proper kavanah and sincerity of the person. According to Rabbi Elazar, it matters whether the gzardin was passed already. If it was already passed, then it doesn't matter whether the person's tfilah was sincere. Rabbi Yitzchak, We saw this before, that uh, according to Rabbi Yitzchak, again, this seems to fit best with what Rabbi Meir said above that uh, a person should cry out and pray, whether it's before the Gzardin or afterwards, it is still beneficial to him. Gzardin didzibor mimikara, now it said on the previous daf, that a communal Gzardin can be canceled and changed, only an individual's cannot. vha doesn't it say in one pasuk, k'bessi ali libech cleanse your heart from evil. Uchtiv ki im baneter, and another pasuk says, even if you clean with soap, if you use uh, uh, different kinds of caustic cleaners and use soap, um, your sin is like stained in front of me. It's not going to ever disappear. So the first one says, we can cleanse. The second one says, isn't the only way to explain it. that The first pasuk that says that it's possible for the community to cleanse themselves is talking about when the decree hasn't been passed. Once the decree has been passed, then the second pasuk, that says no matter what you do, you're stuck that would be relevant. So that shows you that a, com- that a communal din is also final. No, both of them really could be talking about it after the Gzardin. <coughs> it depends whether it is a decree that had a heavenly oath that God made an oath that this was what it was going to be as opposed to a regular Gzardin. Like Rav shmo Bar says, Some say what's Rav Bar Nachmani? Amar yonatan Gzardin she ishimo Shemua how do you know that a Zardin, a decree, even a heavenly decree that would have been potentially cancelable, but if it is uh, accompanied by a divine oath, then it will not be canceled? <inaudible> As it says in the Pasuk, in Shmuel, I swore regarding the house of Eli, that the, uh, that the sin of the sons of Eli that's recounted, in the beginning of Shemuel Aleph, will never be will never be atoned for with any kind of a sacrifice or offering. And because it says Nishbati was sworn, uh, therefore it means that there's uh, no way it can ever, that decree can ever be cancelled. it says in our Gemara, it should say Raba with a Hey. That even though it says in the pasuk that there's no way that if Eli, brought offerings or sacrifices that their sin could be corrected that wouldn't be true if they had learned Torah if they had learned Torah it would have been possible to cancel the decree it's true that uh, Hashem swore that their sin could not be atoned for by any kind of sacrifice but it could be atoned for by Torah uh, and the acts of kindness and now we have again the word rabba, which this one according to the according to the correction should be Rabah and that's what it says on the side. However, Rashi actually says that really it should be Rabba Abaye, mid Bet They came from Bet Eli. Now the reason why Rashi wants to change it to Rabba is because Rava with an Aleph was not a Kohen, and it says that these were descendants of Bet Eli, the house of Eli, which would have been Kohenim. The other possibility is it really is is supposed to say Rava but Rava was maybe on his mother's side a Kohen. But in any case, Rabba de Asak b'Torah. He lived to 40 years old. That's not very old. But for B'nai Eli, that wasn't too bad because one of the decrees against B'nai Eli was that they were going to die young. Because Abaye not only uh, learned Torah, but also did Chesed. So therefore, he lived sixty years, um, and he was able to overcome that decree against the Bnei Eli. I know and the rabbis taught Mishpacha Chatai in Jerusalem. There was one family in Jerusalem that the uh, people were dying at eighteen years of age in this in this particular community, uh, in this particular family. Ba'uvo deal with Rabbi Yochanan Ben Zakkai They told Rabban Yochanan Ben Zakai, and he said to him, So Rabbi Yochanan Ben Zakkai said, "Maybe you are from the uh, family of Eli." It says that your family, your house, the members of your household will die as young men. But, so he said, go and study Torah and then you'll be able to live because the curse against Bnei Eli was only if they tried to uh, atone for their sin through sacrifice. But if they learned Torah, it would change everything. So what happened? So this family went and became uh, learning Torah and then they were able to live and they no longer were dying at the age of 18. And they called it the family of Rabban Yochanan because Rabban Yochanan was the one who gave them gave them." The advice to learn to in order to avert the decree. Uh, how do we know that the uh, that a judgment against the community is not sealed? What do you mean it's not sealed? It says that your sin is sealed or stained in before me. How could it, what do you mean it's not sealed? No, meaning that even though it's sealed, it could still be torn up because it says. Uh, That who is like Hashem, our God, who is close to us, whenever we call out to him, but doesn't it say, seek Hashem when he's available to you, implying that he's not always available. Um, That's talking about an individual. An individual has to wait for the proper time to approach Hashem in order to have... um, his decree changed. But a community can do it and then When does an individual have the opportunity? That's talking about the 10 days of the Yom Kippur. In other words, the Aseret Mate Teshuvah, where an individual has an opportunity to have any decrees against him lifted. But the community, even after that, still has the possibility of doing that. It says, after the 10 days, So it's talking about Naval, who was a person who mistreated David, David's men had helped him out, and he refused to give any provisions to David, even when David was on the run and really needed it, and he was rude and obnoxious, and he, he died, and in fact, David was about to go kill him, and uh, his wife, the wife of Naval, whose name was Abigail, came and intercepted them along the way and intervened, and so David d- decided not to kill him, but Naval ended up dying anyway. 10 days later. So it says, what are these 10 days? Why did he last 10 days before finally dying? He heard that David was about to kill him. He went into shock, but he lasted 10 days before dying. Why? Even though Naval was really rude and he wouldn't give anything to David to, for them to bring back to David and his men, the 10 men who came to ask, who visited Naval and came to ask, he did give them a little bit of food. So because of the 10 Sips literally it means but the ten uh, portions that he gave to those men he got a ten day reprieve on die uh, because at the very least he had the decency to feed the people who came to visit him, even though he wasn't willing to pay David for uh, to repay his kindness by helping him out when he was you know in a uh, difficult situation. Uh, That this is not a reference only to the 10 people whom Naval actually gave food, to whom Naval gave food, but it's a reference to the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which are days that normally we have the opportunity to change our Gazarudin. It was similarly an opportunity, perhaps, for him to do Teshuvah and change his decree, but uh, he did not. And therefore he died. It says that on Rosh Hashanah, everybody passes before Hashem like the Bnei Maron. What is the B'nai Maron? It's talking about uh, the sheep. Just like the sheep go one by one, Hashem evaluates, he sees, and he assesses each person one by one. And that when we, when we count the sheep, we let them out one by one out of the fence so that we can count for every tenth becomes a ma'asir animal. So to Hashem counts us one by one. He's talking about bet Maron, which was an, an elevated area that was very narrow. So in order to go up this elevated area, you could only go by, one by one. So therefore, since you had to go one by one, you could see everybody going up. Uh, at the same time, they could never crowd together. There was a single file. So that's, that's another interpretation. And now it says, It means like the maron is a reference to uh, mastery, to uh, importance. And it's like the uh, armies of David that were organized in such a way that you could count, you could see them proceeding forward one by one. They're all, uh, they're all uh, brushed with one brush, so to speak. They're all, um, it's a, with one swipe. They are all, even though they come one at a time, they're judged with, with one swipe. What does that mean? It says that Hashem forms all their hearts together and He understands all their actions. My kamar, what does that mean? That he created all, the entire world and he made all their hearts the same. We see that that's not really true, right? It's not true that everyone's heart is the same and everyone is exactly the same. It means that Hashem sees them all at once and He understands all their actions. So even though they're, each one gets his own assessment and his own uh, evaluation, his own judgment, it happens in one instant. It happens all at once. That's what it means... Uh, uh, that that he creates their hearts together and he understands all their actions. It means that he's able to understand it all at once. He doesn't have to do a separate process for each person even though he sees each and every individual um, accurately. Uh, It's not a, a process that takes time. It's an instantaneous process. The Mishnah says, When they would declare the Rosh Chodesh, six out of the months, they would have to send Messengers to spread the word of when the Rosh Chodesh was Nisan Pesach. One was in Nisan to inform people about Pesach. Al in the beginning of Av when they would declare the Rosh Chodesh they would let as many people know as possible because of Tisha B'Av. Al Elul meh when Elul was, cho- was um, the Kiddush HaKodesh was done for Elul they would announce it so that people would know when Rosh Hashanah was going to be um, al- uh, uh, on, on, on uh, Tishrei because of the holidays because you have uh, you have not only Rosh Hashanah you have Sukkot and you have uh, Shmini Atzeret as well, and you need to know when they're they're going to be. And Al Kislev Ne Chanukah in the beginning of Kislev because of Chanukah, and Al Adar the beginning of Adar because of Purim. Ukshaya Ve the Mezuzah Kiyam Yotzin Af Al Iyar Ne Pesach When the Beit Magdash was standing, they also had another month that they would make sure that everyone knew, which was Iyar because it was Pesach Shini. People needed to know which day was Rosh Chodesh Iyar so they would be able to come for Pesach Shini if they had to do a makeup korban on uh, you know on that day. The Gemara says, Why don't we have messengers go out in Tammuz and Tevet? Because there are also fast days in Tammuz and Tevet. We already have one going out in Tishrei, so that covers Tishrei. And Av, we have one, but what about Tammuz and Tivit? The other two fasts of the year. The Amar Av Amar Shemar Chassidah, because Av Bizna said in the Rabbi it says that the different fasts of the year, the Shiva, Tomar Aviv is uh, the fast of Tamuz, the fast of Av is Khamishi, Shvi'i is Tom Gedalia, Tomah Sieri is Asar Bet So all of these, all of these fasts will be Levatiyudas Sason L'Zimcha. They will be days of celebration when the Beit Hamikdash is built. Um, it calls them a fast day, but it calls them days of joy. When we, are, when we have peace, meaning that the idolaters are not ruling over us and we have autonomy and we have a beta the Magdash, there's a machlok, there's all kinds of different opinions in the Rishonim what's defined as shalom. We'll leave that be. But in shalom, If there's not peace, certainly if we were in galut like we are today um, and we don't have a beta the makdash, then they are sad days. So the, uh, the question is. All of these fast days are mentioned together. So if we have to send out uh, messengers to let everyone know when Tisha B'Av is, why don't we have to let send out messengers to let everyone know when Shabbat, Shabbat Tammuz is or when Tisha B'Av is? Papa shalom. malchut in. So if there's a, uh, if there's shalom, so that means it's going to be time of rejoicing. rejoicing okay? Yesh malchut If you have a, or Shmad, they could say, if there's any kind of a uh, oppression against the Jewish people, tzom, then it's going to be a fast. En shalom, if it's neither one, it's not a terrible time, it's not a great time. So, rotsu mitanin, rotsu then if they want to fast, they can. And if they don't want to, they don't have to. So so therefore what? So Rav Papa is saying that since you see that it's optional, see, when the things are great, so you don't have to fast. When things are terrible, you have to fast. When things are okay, it's optional. So that's why I'm saying you don't have to send out shliachim because it's optional anyway. But the thing is, if that's true, we Av Nami. What about Tishav Av? During a time of peace and happiness, it's also uh, we also uh, wouldn't keep it, it; would be a holiday. And during an ordinary times, it should be optional at best, unless it's a time of uh, persecution. That's the one fast we can never dispense with. That uh, we, since it's a time, it's a it's a day that many terrible things happened. We don't consider it a. An optional fast, it's an obligatory fast, even at normal times that are not times of uh, persecution. The master says that on Tisha B'av, the first and second Beit Hamikdash were destroyed. Betar, Betar was uh, was just, was captured and destroyed in and also the city of uh, Jerusalem and especially the Temple Mount were plowed, so that it would be like it would, the Beit Hamikdash was never coming back again. It was terrible things that happened on Tisha B'av, and since so many terrible things happened, we always have to observe that one There are four things Rabbi Akiva uh, uh, explained that I explained differently. First of all, he said that when it says Tzom in the Pasuk, it's talking about the 9th of Tammuz, Shabu Hufka'a'ir, which was the day that the city walls were breached in the first time, time of the first Beit of Nimar bar but because it says in the Pasuk explicitly that uh, on the 4th month, on the 9th of the month, V'Yachizak HaRabba'ir, the hunger became very strong in the city. And there was no food for the uh, for the people, and the city finally was broken into. Why is it called Ravii? the fourth month? Because the fourth month, if you follow from Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz, so Tammuz will be it. When it says the fest of the fifth month, it's talking about the B'Av, which was when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. It's called the fifth because it's the fifth month. Uh, starting from Nisan when it says the fast of the of the the seventh month it's talking about Tishrei which was when was killed was assassinated and it became a fast day and who was the killer it's a whole interesting story it's just like we make a fast day for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash we make a fast day for the uh, death of uh, Gedalia, because the death of Tzadikim is like the burning of the Bet Hamikdash. the why is it called Shvi'i, The seventh month, the Chodeshim, again, because we're counting from Nisan, it's the seventh. Toma Achsiri says B'Tevet when it says the tenth month, <coughs> the Feast of the Tenth is talking about Asar B'Tevet, which is Shabbos Melech Yerushalayim, which was when the king of Bavel uh, began to lay siege to Yerushalayim before he broke through the uh before he broke through the uh, well shenever vaheed varasham live shena teshayit khodes asyri ba that the word of Hashem came to me in the ninth, in the uh the 9th year in the 10th month on the 10th of the month lemor mor ben adam kitov lechat sham hayom et etzem hayom azay veyefems basuk nihasker that Hashem said record this very day this day is going to be a day of tragedy samach melech bavel el yerushalayim the day that the king of uh bavel Laid siege to Jerusalem. It's going to be a, a day that's remembered forever, and that's why Asabat is the only uh, fast day that can actually fall on a Friday and has to be observed on Friday. And the rabbis even said that if it fell out on Shabbat, we'd have to observe it on Shabbat, even though it never does. But because the emphasis is on Etsa this day is very special. Why is it called Asiri, The tenth Asuri Lechodeshim because it's the tenth month. Of the year, counting from Nisan, really, this should have been first in the Pasuk, because it, technically speaking, the first thing that happened chronologically of all these things was the king of Bavel laying siege to Jerusalem. Then the Jerusalem was broken through Then the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. This last thing on the list is actually the first thing that happened. Because it wanted to go in the order of the months and in the order of the observance of the fast. So if you're going that way, then the first is Tammuz, then, then Av, then uh, Tishrei, uh, and then Tevet. That will be the order if you're going by month. So even though the thing that happened in Tevet chronologically actually happened a year earlier than uh, things that happened uh, uh, in Tammuz and Tisha uh, B'Av and so on, still, it's listed last in the American. I, and now we're going back, because this was all Rabbi Akiva's interpretation, now Rabbi Shimon is saying, I don't agree with him. I don't say this. is I say that, the, that when it says the fast of the tenth, it's talking about the fifth of Tivit, not Asarav Tivit. Shabu ba'ad Shemal le'golah That was the day that news came to the Jews who had already been exiled that the city had been destroyed. Shenemar v'hi be'stei shana basuribah hamishal chodesh legalutenu. And it was in the twelfth year on the tenth of the month, and the tenth month on the fifth of the month uh, to our exile. Ba'ilay apalit mi'Yerushalayim lemor uketayir that uh, a, uh, somebody who escaped from the battlefield came to tell me that the city had been struck down, the city had been destroyed, talking about Yerushalayim, this is in Necheskel again. So that day, the day that they heard the news that the Beth HaMikdash had been, dest- been destroyed, they made that day into a day of fasting. When in, and I think that my interpretation makes more sense than Rabbi Akiva says Rabbi Shimon because according to him everything in the Pasuk actually happened according to uh, chronological order the first thing in the Pasuk is uh, the, um, the the breaching of the wall of Yerushalayim and the second thing is the Destruction of Beit HaMikdash. And the third thing is the death of Gedaliah ben Achikam, which happened after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And the fourth thing is when the news of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash reached the people in Bavel, which was the last thing. So it actually follows chronological order according to Rabbi Shimon. But according to Rabbi Akiva, you have to flip it around and say that the thing that's listed last in the pasuk actually happened first because obviously the king of Babylon first laid siege to Yerushalayim uh, and only later broke through the wall. So it should, it's out of order to have uh, that listed, the laying siege listed as last on the list of events that require a fast day. Um, and so that's why Rabbi Shimon likes his interpretation better. He's going by the order of them. And I'm going according to the order of the disasters that happened chronologically. And that's why I have to make the last disaster on the list, not Asurah B'tevet, which is really about the breaching of, uh, really about laying of siege. But I have to make a B'tevet actually, um, and it's really about when the news reached the Jews in exile that the Beit HaMikdash had been destroyed. Itamar, we stated as follows. Rav Rabbi Megillatanit was a book of days, many days that it's prohibited either to fast or to deliver eulogies on because they were minor holidays. So according to Avon Rabbi Chanina, this book is no longer applicable. We don't follow it. Levi la They said no that actually there is validity still to the days that are mentioned in Megillat Hanit and we should still observe them as minor holidays. <speaking in> Rabbi <Hebrew> Rabbi said that Megillat Hanit became obsolete. <speaking in Hebrew> That's what they meant. <speaking in> because <Hebrew> we see that the fast days during a time of peace and happiness become days of joy, right? <speaking in Hebrew> and when there isn't peace, then it's a the fast day. <speaking in Hebrew> so we say the same thing regarding these, uh, whatever is written in the uh, Megillat Tanik, these minor holidays are only minor holidays when Tisha B'Av and Asar B'Tevet and all that are holidays. Meaning on times when we're always rejoicing. But any other time, those days don't have any special status. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Osho ben Levi, Amrei ilabat lamagilatani. They say no. The list of things in Megilat did not become obsolete, they're still relevant. It's true that there are some things that it varies. When there's a bit Megdash, it's a time of celebration. When it's a time when it's not there's no Megdash or we're living in ordinary times or persecuted times, then we don't have these uh, days as holidays, to Av and and so on. So that's true there, but, these, but the things in Megillat Tanit have nothing directly to do with, um, uh, with uh, the Beit HaMikdash. They shouldn't have any relevance to the Beit HaMikdash. And therefore, we should say that uh, uh, those holidays in Megillat Tanit that were celebrated could still have been celebrated even uh, in a time where there was no Beit HaMikdash because they're not really related to the Beit HaMikdash in any direct way. Uh, Mativ... So that's the Machloket. The Machloket is, do we say that Megillat that Tanit, this list of minor holidays where you're not allowed to eulogize, you're not allowed to fast, shouldn't be any different than tishabba, avanas, rabba, tibet. When, those ha- when those four fasts are holidays so Megillat Tanit will be a holiday and when the four fasts are not holidays and Megillat Tanit is also obsolete or do we say no Megillat Tanit describes minor holidays that have nothing to do with the Beit HaMikdash or anything go- anything related to that and therefore um, regardless of whether we have the Beit HaMikdash or not we should be keeping these minor holidays now Matziv of kana raised an objection here and he said one time in Lod, by accident, they declared a fast in Chanukah. And Rabbi Eliezer went to the bathhouse. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua, got a haircut. And these rabbis, Rabbi Yeshua and, Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eliezer, said to everyone else, "You'd better go and fast for your fasting, meaning do teshuvah for the fast, fact that you fasted on Chanukah." And, and the point is that only, the only place where we see a source that you're not allowed to fast or eulogize on Chanukah is in Megillat Tanit so obviously Megillat Tanit is still relevant um, Yosef, Chanukah, Dika, That's different than Rav Yosef because Chanukah is a holiday that has a mitzvah that everyone does. It's not just a minor holiday written in a book somewhere. It's something that everyone observes. It's, a, it's something that has a mitzvah associated with it. And therefore, since it has a mitzvah associated with it, um, it's also a time where we should be celebratory, regardless of whether it's written in Megillah, Tanit, or not, we should or not. We should be celebrating during that time. Um, maybe we should go to the opposite extreme and say that uh, once we're already negating... Uh, uh, and saying that uh, uh, that the um, you know we wanted to say that well Chanukah retains its status as a holiday because it has a mitzvah okay so forget about the mitzvah and forget about the holiday in other words uh, if it's really only a holiday of joy on, of the same status as other things in Megillat Ta'anid so we should just say that uh, there, we'll, we'll put aside the mitzvah of Chanukah it's just like anything else in Megillat Ta'anid and it becomes obsolete until the Bedlamikdash is rebuilt Elam Am, Yosef Shani Chanukah, Nisa. Yosef said, No, the real difference is Chanukah, the reason by Chanukah that we don't have a, yam, that, that we celebrate during that time, even though Megillat Tanit is not binding in any other way, is because Chanukah is a time that we're publicizing a miracle. And the publicizing of the miracle warrants the celebration, whether or not it's written in Megillat Tanit, and whether or not Megillat Tanit in general is a source that is still applicable today. We all know that Hanukkah remains a holiday no matter what.